see we've got front row phobia again. I'm going to pray for deliverance in our church. Uh, there, thank you, sweetie. She'll sit there for me. All right, let's stand together. And we're going to get into the Word of God tonight. And I am going where few dare to tread. But, you know, if you teach the Bible, you got to go here. Because this is in the Bible, right? So we're going to think, talk about uh, things you thought were true. And here's something that some of you thought was true. Thank you so much. Y'all are so gracious to get a little bit closer. I promise I don't hurt. I don't, you're not in trouble. All right. Here's what some people think they know, that Jesus never addressed gay marriage. There's a lot of people think they know that. They think that's true. That Jesus never said two of the same sex should not marry. So by default, I also need to deal with the homosexual issue. Uh, and you say, well, why? Well, first of all, because the Bible teaches on it. That's number one reason why. Second reason is our culture is being bombarded with false messaging about these topics. And if you don't know what the Bible says and you've not been taught on it, how can you respond to it, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow on through this. Uh, I am struggling with my voice a little bit, so if I, if I have to cut it a little bit short, will you all forgive me? I think I'm going to make it, but it, just in case, I'm giving you a heads up. I, I really jumped back into the game faster than I should have. But we're good, and I'm trusting God. Amen? Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, how we need the clarity of Scripture on these all-important topics. And Lord, we need to know the truth about this. What do you say about gay marriage? What do you say about the homosexual issue at large? What do you say? Lord, we're going to go to your word and find out. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's got guts. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, before reading uh, our opening passage, I want to talk a moment about truth. Okay? And where you and I get the truth that we accept as true. Every truth that you hold to, you got it somewhere. You accessed it somewhere. It came to you somehow. So it's very important where we go for our ultimate final truth. All right? Now, first, to know if something is true, you need a non-negotiable standard. To know that something is true, you need a standard. Like a ruler measures distance, or a thermometer measures temperature, or a medical manual measures health. You, you've got to have a, an ultimate, transcendent, non-negotiable standard. Okay? Every doctor has got to have an authoritative ultimate standard on what good health is. Right? You don't want to go to a doctor that doesn't know what health looks like. No, you want him to be able to say, you're either healthy or you're not. Well, how do you know that? Because I've got a standard. Okay? If he doesn't accept that 98.6 is a normal temperature and 120 over 80 is normal blood pressure um, and something is either normal or abnormal, 
uh, then how will he ever be able to tell you you're sick or healthy? He's got to have a standard. We all do. A landing place for what ultimate truth is. Uh, There's no way you can definitely measure the distance of a mile. 5,280 feet, we're told. Unless you accept what a foot is. What's a foot? Well, it's 12 inches. There has to be an arbiter. There has to be a non-negotiable, authoritative source for distance. Are you with me? If, if you reject a, a foot being 12 inches and three feet being a yard, then you can never tell me authoritatively you walked a mile. You can't. You got to know. You got to have a final standard for distance. Now, here's why this matters. If I were to ask five people how wide this stage is, five of you, tell me how wide you think this stage is. I'd get five different opinions. Well, here's what I think. It looks to me like, all right, and one opinion is as good as another. One's as good as another. Nobody's opinion is better, all right? All we have is opinion. Well, the stage to me looks 20 feet, 30 feet, 25 feet. That's my guess. But it's only an opinion. The only way to know for sure is to bring in the non-negotiable standard, a tape measure. And the tape measure settles all argument. Amen? So when it comes to truth, philosophical, spiritual, uh, moral truth, what's the standard? Where do you get it? Where are you getting your truth? Is it an opinion or are you accessing a standard? Okay? Now, for me, all truth is measured by the word of God. That's my standard. That's my ultimate standard. That's my measuring stick. All truth, everything that comes to me as true, I'm going to measure against the word of God. And every believer ought to be right there. All right? That's where we've got to land. Without God's word, we're plunged into relativism. And what is relativism? There's no ultimate truth. All truth is fluid. It's just a matter of opinion. Your truth is yours, mine is mine. Can't we all just get along? There's no ultimate truth when it comes to spiritual or moral truth. It's either a matter of opinion or you're going to the measuring stick. And what is it? It's the word of God. But when it's only a matter of opinion and you go there as a person or you go there as a society, then anarchy is always the byproduct because your opinion is no better than mine. Mine's no better than yours. It's whatever I decide is true. And that's where I'm going to land. So, so for something to be irrefutably true, we've got to have a transcendent source, an authoritative voice that rises above man's opinion, right? Here's the deal. We're now living in a nation that has thrown out the tape measure of God's word regarding truth. We've thrown it out. We've thrown it out. And I want to ask you, what does our society look like now since we threw it out? Because truth is no longer measured in America by scripture, which is the transcendent source of all truth. And who is the source? Almighty God. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right, so, but we've thrown it out. America has officially thrown it out. We don't access God's word for anything. We legislate based on what our opinion of truth is. And those opinions very, very much fluctuate and change and conflict with one another. For the last century and a half, I'm going to tell you, there's been a concerted effort to destroy modern man's confidence in the measuring stick, the Bible. And if you want to go back in time, all the way back to the beginning, what did Satan attack? He attacked the word of God. Has God said to poor Eve who came under attack, what did he attack? He attacked God's word, her understanding of God's word. And he said, has God said. Now, let me tell you, the devil has no new bag of tricks. He has not changed. He does the same thing. Has God said? And he wants to say it enough where we take the Bible and we throw it away. And we say, that's no longer relevant. That's no longer for me, no longer for us. We're going to go based on our own opinion. And that's where you get into trouble because there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. So in talking about our topic tonight, gay marriage, if there's no ultimate standard to measure it by, then there's only man's opinion, right? And one opinion is as good as the other. Well, I think this about gay marriage. Well, I think that about gay marriage. Well, we collectively have, have decided this about gay marriage or that about gay marriage. But it's only a matter of opinion. And one man's opinion is as good as another's. Mine's no better than yours. Yours is no better than mine if we're only coming from our opinion. Okay? But when you access scripture, you have a transcendent source. Almighty God. And just like the measuring tape ends all argument on measuring the stage, his measuring tape, the word of God, ends all argument. It ends all argument. All right? It's only because our nation, including our illustrious Supreme Court, has rejected the standard of God's word that they could pass a law changing the very definition of marriage. All right? On December 13, 2022, Joe Biden signed into law the Respect for Marriage Act, which didn't respect marriage at all. And it repealed the Defense of Marriage Act called DOMA that was signed into law September 21st, 1996. The Defense of Marriage Act that was signed in 1996 was a United States federal law limiting the definition of marriage to the union of one man and one woman. So what were they doing with this law? They were accessing the measuring tape, the Bible. Their truth was coming from Scripture. It's between one man and one woman. And it further allowed states to refuse. It gave us the right to refuse to recognize same-sex marriages granted under the laws of other states. We could say, I don't have to recognize that. That was DOMA, 1996. But not to be outdone, proponents of changing the very definition of marriage pushed through the Respect for Marriage Act. And that law 
now requires the U.S. federal government and all states and territories to recognize the validity of same-sex marriage. They mandated that we as a state and all states, and it goes down into people uh, with, with uh, their own companies, corporations, when they hire, they must respect and recognize the validity of same-sex marriage. That was passed in 2022, and Joe Biden signed it again. Let's be clear, this could only happen if the tape measure of God's word were thrown out. And it was thrown out. And unfortunately, a lot of professing Christians since then uh, who uh, think that this was the right and the loving thing to do, part of what helps them to land there is they believe that Jesus never spoke about same-sex marriage or even homosexuality. He never spoke about it. It's not there in the red ink. Look at your Bible. Look at the Gospels. It's not there. We, are, we will be told. Well, what does the standard of Scripture say about it officially? Did he? Did Jesus ever talk about it? Did he address it? Does the Bible address it? Does the New Testament, more importantly, address it? Because we're living in New Testament times, not Old Testament. All right, first of all, the Bible warns. And I gotta, I've got to put this out front because... We've got to understand this because in my personal opinion, you can take it or leave it, but I believe based on my study of scripture that America right now is under the judgment of God. As we speak, America is under the judgment of God. I'm going to show you how it's manifesting in a moment. The Bible warns that when a person or a nation rejects God's word outright as the transcendent standard for truth, the measuring tape, there will follow a steady downward plunge into moral anarchy and usually totalitarianism. Because when you throw God's word out, freedom goes with it. A lot of people will say, well, no, no, when you got God's word in there telling everybody how to live, you don't have freedom, but it's not true. The narrow way leads to life. The broad way leads to destruction and loss of freedom every time. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Watch this now. But their thinking, the minute you reject God, it affects your thinking. Their thinking became futile, useless. And their foolish hearts were enlightened. Is that what it says? No. What happened to the heart that rejects God? It's darkened. Romans 1, which to me is one of the most amazing chapters in the entire Bible because it describes the collapse of a culture and it's like reading today's paper. Romans 1 proceeds to describe God giving them up. Who's the them? Those that rejected his standard, his word, and him as a him as God. All right? It says God gave them up to their sin three times. Verse 24, 26, and 28. The first time he gives them up to hedonistic sensuality, a sexual revolution. When a society rejects God, 
listen to me carefully, there will always come a sexual revolution, meaning restraints are thrown to the wind and people give in to their hedonistic, sensual nature. God lifts his hand when it says he gave them up. It means he turned them over to chase their own lusts. No more restraint. He pulled his restraining hand away. He gave them up. You say, how are we under judgment? Think back to the 60s. What do we say happened in the 60s? A sexual revolution. In the 60s, there were two STDs. Now, there's about 36. When we rejected God, officially as a nation in the 60s, you can see it immediately. A sexual revolution broke out. That's verse 24. The second turning over was to homosexuality, a homosexual revolution. When did we see that? The 80s. All the marches started happening then. All of the coming out of the closet and being uh, uh, bold with it, uh, out front with it, unashamed of it, uh, proud of it, happened in the 80s. God turned them over. The third time was to a reprobate mind. That means a mind that doesn't work. A mind that can no longer think straight. A mind that cannot come to a good conclusion. A mind that can no longer discern good from bad, right from wrong, moral from immoral. Are we there? That's why I tell you we're under judgment right now. A big swath of American culture can no longer tell what's right from wrong. We can't think straight. A reprobate mind means a mind void of judgment, a broken brain. That's what it means. So verse 24, 26, and 28 have all three been experienced by this country, in my opinion. Well, when all else fails, follow directions. Amen. So what does the transcendent standard of God's word say about marriage and gay marriage? Did Jesus address it? What were God's directions and intent when he created marriage? Now let's go back to the beginning and look at the creation of the woman. Because the creation of the woman is where God's purpose for marriage first unfolds. Now I want everybody to perk up and listen. We're going to go into some words, Greek words, Hebrew words. And I want you to listen because here's where words really matter. All right? Genesis 2, to 24. Here's where it all began. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man. Now the word man here is Adam. Adam. Adam in the Hebrew. He made the, the rib the Lord took from man. He made into a woman. And the, the Hebrew word for woman there is isha. Isha. And he brought her to the man. And he named her when he looked at her and said, whoa, man. That's free. A little levity here because I know this is heavy stuff. All right. He made into a woman, Isha is the Hebrew word, Isha. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha. And that means from or out of man, but different in gender. 
Now, this really matters because what the scriptures are dealing with here is gender. Gender. There's not a hundred of them. There's not 80 of them. There's not multiple choice. There's two. That's what the Bible is showing us right here. Everything else is confusion. There's two. Isha, and we're about to see that the man in Hebrew is Ish. So Ish and Isha. So it goes on and it says, because she was taken out of man, Ish. So Isha, female, was taken out of Ish, male. The only two genders in existence. That's it. Moses goes on in verse 24, writing under the inspiration of God's spirit. And I want you to listen carefully to these words. This explains why. Everybody say why. Why did God do this? Why did he make Ish and Isha? Why? Because he did it on purpose for a purpose. What's the purpose for which he did it? This explains why a man, Ish, male, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, Isha, female, and they shall become one flesh. Now, what, what was the why? So that the man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his who? Wife, Isha, female, and they shall become one flesh. So what was God's plan for the Ish and Isha? Marriage. Between who? Ish and Ish? Isha and Isha? No. For this reason, a man, Ish, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his Isha, female, and they shall become one flesh. Could that be any more clear? Y'all are real quiet. I know you're praying for me when this hits the radio. That's okay. So God clearly states that the reason he created Ish and Isha was for marriage. That's why he did it. Then in the New Testament, Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce. And he replied by quoting the text we just read, written by Moses under God's direction. He quoted Moses that we just read. But I want you to look, focus now. I want you to look at how he, he focuses tightly on gender. Jesus does. Not me. Not mean Christians. Jesus. Well, look what he says. Haven't you read? In other words, you ought to know this. That at the beginning, the creator made them male. Now, he doesn't say ish here. He says are sane. Are sane. And our saying is a strictly gender exclusive word. Our saying only means male. That's it. That's all that it means. At the beginning, the creator made them male, our saying, and female, and he uses the word phalus. And he said, for this reason, a man... And here he uses the word anthropos. He's making real sure we get. He's talking about men and he's talking about women and nothing else. Male and female, nothing more. For this reason, a man, anthropos, 
will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Here's another word, gune. You know what gune means? A woman, a wife. It can even mean my lady. Okay? So, a man will leave his father and mother, a male, and be united to his wife, gune, a woman, a lady. Is there any muddled terminology here? This is crystal clear. And the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What has God joined together? Male. Can we say it together? What has God joined together? <clears throat> what God has joined together. Let no man put asunder. All right? So you got here, our same, male, anthropos, man, phalus, female, gune, woman. He's making real sure we get it. So did Jesus talk about gay marriage? He did indirectly. He did by default. He did by implication. Because he's sitting here telling us what God's plan was. And his plan was not same-sex marriage ever. His plan, when all else fails, follow directions. What was his plan? Male, female. That was God's original plan. He made it on purpose for a purpose. Amen. So Jesus is undeniably stating that the marriage bond is between a male husband and a female wife. And it's a sacred union. He makes it crystal clear that God's design for marriage is between the two genders. God created in the beginning a man and a woman. He said, have you not read? Don't you know what God's original plan was? So when the government, the Supreme Court, decided to redefine marriage, they essentially sabotaged God's divine decree for marriage. They went where you shouldn't go. You can't undo what God has done. You can pretend to undo it, but you can't undo it officially, not really, not in reality. You can't. So the whole issue of gay marriage being okay is something you thought you knew, because after all, Jesus didn't talk about it, but didn't he? He did by telling us what God's plan was. It may be a civil right now, but it's not a Bible right. No human being, no act of Congress, no ruling by the SCOTUS, that is Supreme Court, or any group of people in any society None of them ever created marriage. So if you didn't create it, you can't mess with it. Right? Now, since I'm already here and already in trouble, let me just further uh, go on a little bit and, and let me deal with the homosexual issue. Now, please understand, I'm not in any way pointing a finger or speaking condescendingly. Jeff Wickwire that was never a part of my life, but man, was I a mess when Jesus saved me. And if the grace of God hadn't saved me, I'd still be a mess. 
if I were even alive. So I'm not in any way pointing a finger, speaking condescendingly. I'm wanting to minister truth because truth is what sets us free. All right? So I'm not looking down on anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm simply sharing the truth of God's word. So when it comes to the homosexual issue, which is what brought forth the gay marriage issue in the beginning, and I'm talking about also lesbianism, what does the standard of God's word say? Well, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, we read this, quote, you must not have sexual intercourse with a male as one has sexual intercourse with a woman. It is a detestable act. Now, proponents of God being okay with homosexuality and gay marriage will say, but you're quoting the Old Testament and that's gone. Well, not if it's carried over into the New Testament. If it's carried over into the New Testament, it's real for us in new covenant living. And it applies. Now, the scripture passages that deal with homosexual behavior in the New Testament call it sinful every time. Let me read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. We read this. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For even their women. Why did he say even? Like, even the women. Because when the women go in a culture... When they gave, give in to something that is really wrong because they are more sensitive to God and to right and wrong and to emotional issues, when the women go, it's a bad sign. And that's why he brings up the women first. Even their women exchange the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And likewise, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed in their passions for one another. Men committed shameful acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their errors. Listen to the adjectives. Dishonorable, unnatural, shameful. And can I also add, it's not that homosexuality is the only sexual sin in the Bible. This is the one we're dealing with. But adultery, fornication, pedophilia, bestiality, there's a bunch of them. This is just the one we're dealing with tonight. So I'm not, all the rest of them are just as wrong. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I'm with you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you so much. Give me an amen here. All right. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, we read this. Do you not know, in other words, you ought to know. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now he's going to list out unrighteous lifestyles. Here he goes. Don't be deceived. Everybody say, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Why am I teaching this? So that we won't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Greek word for effeminate there is malakos. And I'm going to tell you straight up what it means. It's the effeminate submissive in a homosexual relationship. That's what malakos means. The effeminate. Nor homosexuals 
Arsenikoites. Arsenikoites is the Greek word. It means a male engaging in same gender sexual activity. Arsenikoites. So neither the effeminate nor the homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit what? Those practicing this. Now look what he says in verse 11. Such were some of you. He didn't say such are some of you, but we understand because you're born that way. Did he? No. What did he say? Such, say it with me. Now, if you were, then you're not now. Okay, were past tense. You were, some of you, but you were washed. Washed from what? Your sin. You were sanctified. What does that mean? Removed from a sinful lifestyle. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So we note that Paul is identifying some of the church members of Corinth as those that were doing those things in the past but are no longer practicing it. He sees them as redeemed, delivered, sanctified, glorified, washed, living a new life. That's how he shows it. Now the argument is made, and I got to deal with this, and I'm coming to a close. But the argument is made, what about the born this way claim? Because that's one of the big, I'm born this way. I've always been this way. I'm born this way. It's in my genetic code, all right? All right, now let's walk through that. If homosexuality is genetically imposed, isn't it unfair and even cruel not to allow them a happy life with somebody else in a same-sex marriage? That's, that's what we're told. That's what our culture is told. I mean, you got to have love. you got to understand. you got to be tolerant. Uh, you've got to embrace people and understand their condition and, and, and okay it and affirm it, even celebrate it. The problem is this one. A gay gene has never been found. I'm going to say that again. A gay gene has never been found. Now, let me tell you where the whole notion of a gay gene came from. In 1993, Dr. Dean Hamer studied 40 pairs of non-identical gay brothers. 40 pairs of non-identical gay brothers. So 80, 80 young men. And, they, and he claimed that 33 of the 40 pairs had inherited the same X-linked genetic markers indicating a genetic cause for homosexuality. Well, of course, there was no scientific confirmation of this at all. And, of course, the media latched onto that story and ran with it. There's a gay gene, there's a gay gene. Now we understand you're born that way. Feel good about yourself. It's okay, embrace it because you're born this way. But here's the problem. Hamer's study was quickly proved misleading and it didn't hold up to scientific scrutiny at all. Within a year, 
it had been proven that no such gene existed. I want to say again, they've never isolated, never found a gay gene. You know why? It's not there. Following this disclosure, Dr. Hamer, who made the original claim, admitted his theory and findings were never true. That, But it was all it took. It was already in the culture, already absorbed by the culture as a truth. But it never was a truth. Passages found in Romans 1 clearly claim, track with me because I'm coming to a close, but watch this carefully. Uh, um, Romans 1, among other places in the Bible, claimed it's a choice. It says that those who rejected God and his moral standards, look at these words, changed. Everybody say changed. changed. The glory of the incorruptible God into an image of corruptible man and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, changed and exchanged are verbs. I changed something or exchanged something as an act of my will. You want to trade cars tonight? We can trade cars tonight. You give me your car and I'll give you mine. It's a decision of the will. It's an exchange. All right? These people, the people that Paul is addressing, they, they he says, change. They exchange. They said, I don't want God's truth. I don't want his glory. I don't want to acknowledge him as God. So I'm going to exchange God and I'm going to worship idols. And so they, they made that exchange, an act of the will. That's when God turned them over. That's what it says. I'm just reading it. So we see here a cause and an effect, not an irresistible genetic urge. So in summary, the very idea of bringing something that God clearly says is sinful into a sacred covenant of marriage is spectacularly wrong. Well, you're just being mean, Jeff. No, I'm not. I'm not being mean. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not being, is God being mean to tell the, I'm just quoting the word. Is God being mean? How many of you are glad God told you the truth about your lifestyle when you got saved? Oh, man. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can be freed from enslavement of every kind. Uh, sexual bondage included and live in the joy of freedom. That's the message of the gospel. I'm not being mean. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches about this. So what is our attitude to be? I love all people. All people are welcome to come here. I don't care what your lifestyle is. You are welcome to come here. I want you to hear the word of God. I want you to hear it. I want you to be exposed to it. Um, Jesus invited everybody. Jesus sat down at the table with sinners. I sit down. I talk to people all the time that don't have my beliefs. Right? Did that this week. Man, did I get into a talk with this one guy. Uh, Wow. And I've known him for a long time. But uh, we got down and, and we were having some words. Not bad. I did not. He didn't cuss and I didn't cuss. So don't, don't get wrong. But I'm saying it got intense because the truth is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. It's never easy. We don't like the truth. Many times don't like it. 
There's things I read in the Bible sometimes. I say, I don't like that because it goes against my flesh. But it will set you free every time. Yeah. All right, my voice made it. I cracked a little bit, but I'm good. Now, how many of you are glad that I covered this tonight? All right. How many of you will pray for me when it goes on the radio? All over the United States of America. All right, uh, I'm going to take a couple of questions because I know this has been a hot-button topic and we're doing really good with time. So do you have a question tonight about anything that I've shared? People are afraid to ask questions about this one. Oh, I'm not going to raise my hand. But if you got a question, raise your hand and I'll do my best to answer it. Yes, sir. I'll ask the question. So um, I have a daughter that uh, lives the lesbian lifestyle. And my question is, she, you know, she's in the culture. She thinks it's normal. She thinks she was born that way. Um, She thinks because she's in a monogamous relationship that it's okay. And I want to love her through that, but stand firm. And I just wondered if there's any, you know, how can I love her without affirming you know, and that's, that's kind of where I am. It's a delicate, um, it is a delicate issue. Um, I've not had to deal with it personally, but I've had many church members, well, many, I've had some church members. I had one couple come up to me and say, my child is getting married in a same-sex marriage, and I'm invited, do I go? And... I had never really thought that through when this was asked me. It was a couple of years ago, but still. And they were very torn up. Um, but I, I shot from the hip, and I just said, okay, all I can tell you is if it were me, I couldn't do it. What I would say is the porch light is always on. You know that I love you, but I cannot come and celebrate. Boy, this is going to get me in trouble. But I cannot come and celebrate two people vowing to live in sin the rest of their life. I mean, I can't celebrate that. I love them, but I can't celebrate it. Um, So I would draw a line. But I would say, look, like I said, the porch light is on. You come see us anytime. And if they wanted to bring the other person with them, Boy, that's a tough one. I think that I would lay down ground rules and say, if you bring them, no show of physical affection in front of me. Because, folks, you can't strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Meaning, in order to be sure the person who's gone into this knows they're still loved, you can't give up truth You can't shape your theology around your experience. No, theology shapes your experience. Experience doesn't shape your theology. I can't give up truth to cater to someone who has chosen to not walk in it. I I will I can't I cannot Paul even Paul wrote these words we can do nothing against the truth. We can do nothing. So to me it's a balancing act. You know that I love you. You know that I'm not uh, uh, telling you to go away, but I, but I, I can't 
be brought into this. Uh, we have to come to a compromise, and that's what I would look for. Not easy. I lost my son, not totally forever, but years ago I lost my son to drugs. It, it killed me. It shattered me. Um, it's kind of a long story, but just encapsulating it, I'm in prayer one day in our house, and clear as a bell, I mean, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit spoke to me when he was at school and said, go down to his room. Go down to his room. Go down to his room. And as soon as I started walking, I knew exactly where to go and exactly where to look before I ever got there. And I got there, opened the closet, see this little box, and Holy Spirit said, open it. I'm just telling you, it was very supernatural. And then I opened it, and it had drugs in it. Just shocked me. That was the beginning of a few years of hell. Because he went hard into it. Um, it messed with me. I, now, I never lost my faith in Christ, none of that. But what it did do is it shook me about everything I thought that I had understood about raising a child in the faith. Because I was Mr. On-the-spot dad. Went to all the games, prayed over him every night, did everything I knew to do right, and then he still went sideways. Now, the day came when it was clear uh, it was getting worse. And we had another, we had our daughter there. Our daughter was living in the house, and I was very concerned about her being affected because he had gone very uh, wild. Now, he would not have a problem with me telling you this. He's been clean, wow, how many? 20 years? Yeah. But, uh, and, he, and he goes to uh, Lake Country there in, uh, no, not here, not Lake Country, the great big church in Rockwall. He goes there anyway. Um, but the day came when I had to look at him, me and my late wife, Kathy, we got him, we got him in the foyer of our house and said, it's us or the drugs. I cannot, I cannot, in order for you to know that I love you, I cannot let you stay if it's damaging the rest of the home. So I'm going to choose truth. It's us or the house. And he walked away. He walked away and he went to the streets. And um, I could tell you a lot more. I don't want it, to, it's, it killed me. I mean, I, I was pastoring and it just, it killed me. It, it almost just, um, it, was, it was all I could do. Anyway, um, I'm telling you that to say I had to make a choice. And it was a hard one because I knew if he went to the street, he'd get worse. But I had to take a stand for truth. This is not what we're about in this house. I can't let you ruin the house to prove to you that I love you. Right? Yeah. So, um, I don't know if that helps you, but and it's not about that issue, but it was a drug issue and it was just the same. You know, it's like, what do we do? Do we keep him? When does it become enablement? 
And when does it, when is it love and when is it not? And I think really making him walk away in the long haul was the best thing because he came to himself like the prodigal. He came to himself. If we had kept on coddling him and enabling him and giving him a roof over his head, who knows how long this would have gone on and what it would have done to my daughter. I know that's real transparent. I didn't mean to go into that. That was not in my notes, I promise you. But that's what we went through. And it was really, really gut-wrenching. Anything else? Yeah, that help? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I'm... He's speaking for you. I know, I know. No, we've been down that road. She's 32. Well, I would never give up truth. And never give up love. It has to be that tension. And never defile your own conscience to prove love. That's where I would draw the line. Mm -hmm. It's it's difficult at family functions. Oh, man, I'm sure. Because the rest of the family is, if they're not okay with it, they don't say that they're not. Yeah. You know, so it's. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's we're in, our culture has given us one difficult situation to deal with right now. And, um, it's this issue. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to take a stand. Don't defile your conscience ever in order to prove to somebody that you love them. Okay. Anyone else? One more question. If there's another one, everybody's kind of blown away by the topic tonight, I guess. All right, let's stand together. Can we? It is Valentine's Day. (laughs) Isn't it? It's Valentine's Day. So, um, wow, what a topic for Valentine's Day. (laughs) Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Let's thank him. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to, to counter the lies of the culture so that we can walk in truth have the cobwebs cleared out of our mind and understand what God really has said about this. We thank you, Lord, for our own liberty. Thank you that you reached down by the grace of God, Lord, and delivered all of us from a great big mess and set us free. And for those that are struggling, Lord, with same-sex attraction, same-sex urges, I pray, let the truth of the word of God go deep into their soul and spirit and help them, Lord, to take a stand on truth. And I just thank you for it and I bless you for it, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness and your love. And even when we fail over and over again, you still forgive when we come to you and genuinely repent. Thank you for your mercy and your patience and your long-suffering with all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. This Sunday, I'm going to be talking about how to know God is guiding you. See you Sunday. God bless you.